Obamacare. The very sound of it makes us cringe because we know our choices have been limited and the premiums just keep going up every year. We're sending our money to these huge insurance companies to cover elective abortions and profit from us while we struggle to make the enormous payments. I know you're ready to break free from the shackles of high-cost health care, which is why I want to introduce you to my friends at the Alliance for Shared Health, which is ASH for short. ASH is a healthcare share ministry with over 40,000 households participating, integrating best-in-class healthcare access solutions with the health share world because you need help with this healthcare crisis. If you join, you will share in the financial burden related to catastrophic healthcare expenses, also having your own needs met. It's easy and it's affordable. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up a prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, order expensive lab or imaging tests at discounts of 60 to 80%, all conveniently accessed from your phone via the Share mobile app. You will also be helping U.S. residents to break free from government-controlled health care and $1 per household per month connects members to the East African HealthShare predecessor, where thousands and thousands of lives are being saved through the ASH-funded pediatric hospital in the remote villages. Open enrollment is here. Now is your chance to save 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums. Go to StacyOnTheRight.com or FamilyVisionMedia.org and click the link to find out more about how you can reach out to ASH today. Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination, rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Guess what? We have Bethany Mandel. She is the editor of Ricochet. She is also a full-time mom, an author, and mom of four with one on the way. So I cannot believe we get to chat about her latest article, which is so great. Uh, By the way, one of her kids was born in her husband's Nissan Altima. And uh, she's also one of the hosts of the Lady Brains podcast, which is actually hosted by some of my favorite women in the world. So you got to check that out, too. Um, It's like a podcast sisterhood now with her on my show and having knowing what their podcast is like. Bethany, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I apologize for any kid sounds that you hear in the background. (laughs) Well, that's going to make this story a lot more real. (laughs) My toddler is having a morning. Oh, my goodness. Well, I am too. Only it doesn't look cute when I scream and yell, so I just have to internalize my <laughs> angst. So let's talk about this. You have a piece over at Desiree News that is an in-depth feature. You interviewed couples who are embracing more children than is typical. And the, the title of the piece is The Joy of the Big Messy Family. So you're having a fifth child. Can you talk about why you and Seth decided to go one more time after having four kids, which is already in America, that's considered a big family at four? <laughs> so I mean, we call our fourth child, who's currently actually hysterically having the one having the tantrum, the tricker baby, because she's such a delight under normal circumstances. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I, we, we kind of, we see the relationships that our kids have and it's so special and it's so wonderful. And I sort of compare it to my childhood 
um, where I didn't have any siblings and my, my dad wasn't around and it really just could not be different, could not be more different, my childhood versus the childhood of my children. And we were just kind of like, you know, this is working for us and what's one more? And, um, and you know, now we, now that we have four, we can't imagine life without them. And I think about especially like all of my friends who most of whom stop at two. And I look at my third, my fourth kid. I'm like, oh my God, what, what would this be like without, without the two of them? And I just, I'm excited to meet the, the next person that we made because the first four are so wonderful. <laughs> okay. So that's how I always felt about it. After the first one, I was actually afraid that I wouldn't be able to love the second one as much as I love the first one. And one of the ladies at church was like, what's, what's wrong? And I said, well, I'm worried. And she was like, what are you worried about? And I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to love this baby as much as I love the first baby, Maya. And she was like, Maya is so great, isn't she? I was like, yes, I think she's just perfect. She was like, yeah, but the next baby will be the same. I said, what do you mean? She said, the, the next baby will be completely different from Maya with his own personality. And you will love him so much. Your heart always has room for more love. You'll see. She was like, stop worrying about it. It'll just make you antsy and you have to go to the bathroom more often than you need to because you're pregnant. And I was like, what? So, <laughs> And she was right. As soon as Miles was born, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how much I love him. And as his little personality began to emerge, I thought, this is just so great because they're the same. They even looked a lot alike, but their personalities are so different. It's like, yes. obviously, it's another person. And then when the third one came... We looked at her on the table, and I, I told my husband that I, I had baby fever by then. I was like, how can we stop with, with this one? Look at her. She's perfect. I know. And he was like, oh, we're stopping. You know, So he was very serious about stopping. But I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. If you're sitting and listening to this podcast and you only have two kids and you are thinking of having another one, my advice is go for it. Yes, absolutely. And, and I had the same experience. I remember crying, dropping off my oldest when I went to have, when I was going to the hospital to have my second. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, this is so unfair. Why am I doing this to her? We have it. We, everything is perfect. Why would I rock the boat? And, um, and I just, I, I deeply, deeply regretted having another baby as I was on the way to have him <laughs> exactly <laughs> six years ago today. And then I looked at him when he was born, like an hour later, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, what was my life like before him two hours ago? And he's, he's just, he's so perfect and they are so different, but I mean, no matter what, I'm, I'm bound to just love them to the ends of the earth because they're your child. But, um, but they, they really challenge me as a person to sort of be, be different and be better and be more patient. And, um, and they're, they're so fun. I just, I like them as people, even outside of, you know, being my children and loving them. Um, it's so, it's such a joy to watch their personalities develop. And it's, it's been such, it's been such a pleasure to raise them. Well, I, I, I feel the same way. I've used to, um, my son was the thankful one. So he'd say, thank you, mommy. Thank you for this wonderful dinner. Or thank you for this <laughs> wonderful trip that we took today. Or thank you for taking us out for play dates today and making sure that we had ice cream. Thank you, mommy. And I'd say, oh, it's my pleasure, Miles. It's my pleasure to be your mom. <laughs> and sometimes he'd say, you're such a great mom. And I'd say, no, I actually, it's my privilege to be your mom. I don't deserve you. And that was our little joke. He'd say, oh, thank you, mommy. And I'd say, I don't deserve you, Miles. And so we, <laughs> we you know, of course, now they're teenagers, so we don't engage in those ritualistic, uh, you know, verbal affairs. But I got to tell you, it was true. I, have, I would often look at them and think, how did I 
like, why did God give me these three kids? They're so great. And yeah. I, I've always enjoy them so much, even when they're not really like I, you know, apparently enjoying me because I'm just talking and talking and talking and they're kind of listening and looking at me like, I don't know what's going through their mind, but I just have so much to say all the time. And I know that, that it's a privilege to get to have them because I've met women who've had a struggle with having kids. Um, and sometimes that struggle ends, you know, they, they really don't get what they want. And other times there are other options, but to be able to have kids just, you know, oh, I want to get pregnant and eventually get pregnant and have a baby is really actually quite an honor. Yeah, no, it really is. And that's that's something that I think a lot of people in my generation and, you know, coming up, there's there's so much emphasis on birth control um, that we don't really talk to women in an open and honest way about fertility and about um, the fact that it isn't a given and it isn't endless and um, and that there are a lot of women who struggle. And that, that was my my argument with my husband when we were thinking about getting pregnant with our first, and I, I laugh about it now and he totally denies that it happened. But I <laughs> say to him, I was saying to him, you know, we should try to get pregnant now because if we have trouble, we have time to, to correct. But also if we have, if we have babies every other year, which we ended up doing, um, we will have time to make a decision about a, about a fifth. And if we start when I'm 30, we won't have that choice. We won't even have that choice about a fourth, let alone a fifth. That's and he right. was like, girl, you're crazy. We're not having five children. Like, what What are you talking about? And I was like, I'm just saying, you know, I, I see you as one of those people who starts and can't stop and just want to give ourselves some freedom. And here we are, <laughs> 35, <laughs> having our fifth. And How had started when he wanted to start. Uh, this wouldn't have been an option. And I'm so glad that he was bullied by me. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's actually a, a benefit, a little bit of bullying, not a routine thing, but, a, a, you know, in the most crucial moments can make all of the difference in the world. Uh, so I've, I'm over on your piece, Bethany, and I, I so enjoy the way that you wrote about this. Um, you have a lot of your own personal history in here, but you also talk to other women who are in the similar position that you're in with larger families and just, just the, the discussions that you've had with them. What, what did you come away with when you talk to other people who are in the same boat as you and happily so? So it was really interesting because it, it, it didn't, it wasn't my intention, but it worked out that I ended up talking to a lot of other only children or the spouses of only children. Um, and this was kind of a theme that came up that people were like, I did not want to do what what my parents did. And it wasn't wasn't necessarily a, a rejection of what their parents did. And it, and it wasn't I mean, it wasn't a choice for my parents. But um, but it was just kind of like I wanted to go on a different path because I knew how lonely it was being an only child. And I didn't want that for my children. Um, but I, I think a lot of people um, also had the same experience where they went into it not intending to have a large family and it just sort of happened because they liked it and they wanted to just keep on going and not put a number on it. Um, and that was definitely our experience. I mean, we, we, we started having kids. We knew that we wanted to have more than, more than one and, and probably more than two. I don't think that I would have believed anyone who told me 10 years ago that we would end up pregnant with our fifth and not, not with our door completely closed to a sixth either. Um, and it, it's, it's just like, it's, you know, we, we really liked it and we don't see a reason to stop. 
outside of the fact that if we if we do have a six, we'll need a new car. <laughs> yes, yes. Good. Well, actually, we noticed when we went to New York City as a family of five, and this was about six or seven years ago. Uh, well, no, five, six years ago, we went to New York and it was in the dead of winter and catching a cab was kind of impossible because cabs are made for four people, two in the back. Mm-hmm. And if you need to, one in the front, at most you yeah. put three in the back and one in the front, which means four people can ride. Well, if you have five people, they'll, they'll just drive right by you unless they're driving a bigger cab and you can squeeze in or they'll say, they'll pull up and say, I'll pick up three of you. And then the other two of you need to find a cab. So Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm like, well, which three of us are you going to take? Just the kids or just the girls? There's three girls. <laughs> so um, I, what, what, is, what stuck, sticks out to you besides the fact that there's so much of an only child reverb, like it's a rubber band snapping back where people who come from tiny families want larger families. Do you find that it, it crosses all of the spectrum from, uh, let's just say, from Jewish people? You, you happen to be Jewish. Um, Catholics. I'm not Catholic, but you're, you know, Catholics do tend to have larger families, or at least they used to. Where, where did you find the concentration, or was there one? So, I, I it's, it's people who are religious almost entirely, um, and it's because I, I think um, it's the social isolation of doing this as sort of a secular and non non believing person is just too much. There were there were two people that I spoke with, one of whom I, I think she would just classify herself as sort of agnostic. And then there was one um, Jewish guy who is not religiously observant. He's like, I think, reform conservative. I I think they definitely had a harder road. Um, The people who have larger families and religious communities, definitely, it's, there's less friction in their social circles. Um, The Mormons had it a very easy time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mormons I spoke to were like, uh, one of the questions that I, I asked of everyone was like, what was the response when you told people that you were pregnant for the, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh time? And I heard from almost everyone, it was really hard to tell people when they were getting through the numbers. <laughs> but the but the Mormons were like, oh, everyone was so thrilled. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That's... And they, they, could, they couldn't comprehend that that wasn't the response. And, and that was not the response for most people. So that's to me pretty sad. And I want to encourage people who are in the podcast, listening to the podcast, to anyone who loves Stacy on the right, to consider um, the maxim that most of our moms raised us with, which is if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. But if someone is expecting a baby, you should be expected to say something nice because a baby is a human being and a blessing and some people can't have any. And so if you see someone who's on their seventh or eighth child, the assumption that they aren't making a good decision for themselves or they might be too idiotic to understand what they're doing or that they don't care about the environment, those are not proper responses. The proper response is excitement, exuberance, and congratulations. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny. I, I, told our, I told our accountant yesterday that we were having another one in the summer. And she, she was just, she was aghast. What? I'm, what? How are you going to save for college? And I was like, I, I mean, you have access to my finances. You know that we are saving for college. But like, <laughs> am I going to save enough for a full ride to Columbia University? No, I am not. Um, nor, nor would I if I could. Um, but I, I, I think... Um, I, th- I think that it, it, it throws people for a loop when they hear that people are having like a fifth or a sixth kid because it's just so outside the norm for people's experiences that they really just can't fathom why someone would do this. And I think a lot of it is because the experience of parenthood 
has been made really um, unpleasant due to life choices that a lot of folks feel like they have to make, um, having two incomes and and working uh, and working nonstop and um, sort of the only experience that people have with their children are sort of frenzied and negative. Um, and so that would that would make the, the experience of parenthood unpleasant, I think, for anyone. But also, uh, parenthood has a really bad PR problem. Um, people sort of talk about it as um, as a burden and and an unpleasantry, and um, and and that's that's part of how I feel I'm sort of contributing to the culture and to the sort of our society is is trying to destigmatize parenting um, and and give it its its dues. It's a it's a blessing, and um, I don't think that enough people carry that belief with them. Well, they don't, and kids pick up on it too. Kids will actually say, "Oh, you know, I hope this wasn't too big of a deal." You know, they're, they're basically saying, "I know you're busy, and dealing with me can be a you know a little bit rough." That's not the way kids are supposed to feel. Kids should feel like, "Hey, you know, I'm a part of this family, and we may be juggling a lot of responsibilities, but." you know, I'm a part of it, not I'm a burden. I'm something that you have to take care of, or you'd rather be, you know, wherever they think you might rather be. Um, the, the parenting years are very short. And I know you have, you know, obviously you're a mom, you have multiple kids, but I always caution people, especially when, you know, it feels like it's kind of overwhelming when there's more than one child screaming or there's more than one child who's sick. It can feel like it's never going to end, but it is going to end and you are going to be crying and gutted about it. I know when our first daughter went to college, I cried for the whole first semester she was there. Pretty much every night I cried myself to sleep and it wasn't regret like we didn't spend enough time together. We did. It was the end of something because she represented something amazing to me, the beginning of my life as a mom and a full-time mom at that. And Everything that that meant, it, it was like a transformation. I rolled, I was wheeled into the hospital and it was just me. And when I came out, it was me and a person that my husband and I had made. And that person was relying on me for everything. And it, I felt like a superhero and a villain and, you know, an incompetent boob. And it was amazing. And her going off to college and living away from our home meant the, really the severing of that control, the, the ability to kind of manage and all the things that I was trying to stop doing as she was a high schooler. Um, they, it came to an abrupt end, whether I was ready or not. And then with our son, I did much less crying because it was just a year later, but I'm preparing to go through it again. Our youngest is graduating in May and she's going off to college in the fall. And I am going to be rolling around in this big old place with my husband and our little fat Maltese dog, you know, Bentley will be just rolling around in here like bowling balls. And I've, I'm so busy now with work. I thank God for that. But I'm also, Bethany, I'm, I'm aware the end of me as a mom with kids in the house, it's a huge shift. And it happened like overnight. I remember the smell of Madison as a baby. I remember Miles, how he would always, you know, climb on me. If I was laying on the couch for a minute, he'd come over and climb right on top of me and say, so what are we going to do now? And he'd lay his head right on top of my head. <laughs> and I remember Maya telling me to put him down. When I finished nursing him. She'd say, put him down, put him in his bed so we can go and feed my baby. And then she would pretend nurse her baby, read it a story. And then we would play all of these elaborate games because she and Miles are only 15 months apart. So she was very, very, you know, like, you know, put him down. We have stuff to do. So these things are memories that I have. And they're, they're, I've forgotten probably more than I remember. 
but it happens so quickly, you know, so people don't realize how fast the childhood is going to literally run out like sands in a glass. And then you're going to be looking for your children to hurry up and get through with college, get married so you can have those, so they can have some kids so you can have some grandkids. That's what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my older son is my second kid is about to turn six tomorrow and he slept in my bed last night with me and I, I just looked at him and I was like, Oh my God, I, I so vividly remember when you were a baby yesterday mm-hmm. and now like who gave you permission to be a six year old tomorrow? I certainly did not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just, it goes so fast. And that was, that was part of our, our calculus about having a, a fifth because um, my, my youngest was pushing me away. She didn't want to nurse anymore. I don't even like nursing. Like, I'm not, like, one of these, like, you know, people that's, like, breast is best, whatever, like, you know, whatever. But it was the end of this, like, babyhood thing. And I was just like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do this. (laughs) I'm not... I can't, I can't be done. I can't be done doing this thing that I don't even like doing. <laughs> well, Bethany, my routine on their birthdays and it's carries through to this day is, or any, any milestone like um, Madison deciding which college she's going to after we were jumping up and down about her scholarships, I kind of looked at her and I said, how dare you? And she just, you know, kind of blinked at me a couple of times because they know where I'm going. I always ask them, how dare you? Who told you you could become 17 overnight? You were just a baby yesterday. And sometimes they'll respond. I know mom in your mind, I'm still a baby. When you look at me, you see a baby, a drooling baby. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I see. <laughs> so, you know, they're they're aware of it and they they're that never goes away. And so I think, you know, the, these are joyous things that we used to see, Bethany, on the commercials. We used to see Gerber baby commercials. There used to be juicy fat babies on almost all of the programming as commercials. And now it's rare that you see that. You see teenagers dancing TikTok dances. You see adults engaging in adulting or behaviors that are supposed to be funny and endearing. But not as many kids, not as many babies specifically. Yeah, yeah. And, and they've disappeared from our society also. I mean, the number of people who are who you know complain that they never want to see a baby on a plane or in a restaurant or out in public in general. Um, and and that, that has really happened a lot this year with COVID because People are demanding two-year-olds wear masks, which is not a thing that's actually really possible. Um, and so it's, it's driven families even more into sort of the shadows. And, um, and you know, this is kind of what happens when, when people don't see children. They sort of ascribe the worst possible motives to them. And, and then, you know, when you're out with a baby, people are like, oh, my gosh, it's cute. And I'm like, mm, yes, they're good. <laughs> So this is this is our my favorite uh, memory of that where it was unexpected for people. We took a 747 jumbo to Germany when my kids were, I think, four, three and one and a half, something like that. Oh my gosh. And so we you know, that's an eight hour flight. So we get on the plane. Yeah. And each kid has their backpack. And we're seated in the kind of the middle and two windows and the kids would swap out sitting over by my husband by the window. And um, they, they were just so well behaved. Not one of them cried the whole time. And so the, the stewardesses in our section of the plane kind of took a liking to them. And, and after we got up, you know, you go to sleep on the plane, you wake up, you're, you're overseas. And so they hand out the hot cloths. Other kids wipe their own faces and, you know, hand their little towels back to me. 
And she said, as we were loading all of our stuff up, she said, I, I've never seen this before. I said, what? what? What's going on? She said, they didn't cry. I said, well, they're four, three, and one and a half. These aren't infants. She said, yeah, but they didn't, they didn't scream. They didn't, what was in those bags, Benadryl? <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> they, they were prepared. We talked about this. We practiced in the minivan, and I told them that they wanted, they should be ambassadors for kids so people on the plane wouldn't think the kids couldn't manage themselves. And yeah. obviously the youngest didn't really get that, but the two older ones, they got a little determined look on their face. And they're like, we're not bad kids. I was like, I know, but a lot of kids get on planes and they get bored and they cry and they make a lot of noise. And I hope you guys will be just as well behaved as you normally are, only you're going to be on a plane. And when we land, we'll be in a whole nother country. And they're like, oh, okay, this is awesome. I'm so excited. Um, So they kept talking to me, like asking me questions, do, do some kids on the plane, what do they do? Do they run up and down the aisles? They would ask me all these phantasmical questions. Do they climb over the seats? I'm like, no, I don't think they do that, but it's just the noise they make. And the adults get really annoyed by that. And they would kind of look at me like they were taking notes and then talk amongst themselves. I, I, the, the whole experience for me, it was great. If they cried, I was, I was ready to manage it, but I was really surprised that she said most people on the plane dislike having kids in their section most people expect the kids to scream and cry that it was such a uh, anomaly for her to see well-behaved kids on the plane and I, I was like well they have to be well-behaved because I'm trying to raise them up to be responsible adults but also who likes listening to kids cry but the alternative is also kids do cry and it's yeah. usually a brief experience most kids don't cry for 45 or 50 minutes at a time they cry for a few minutes until you figure out what's wrong and that shouldn't be something that we can't handle as adults. Like everybody has ear pods now. We just turn your ear pods up and you can't even hear yep. the child cry. So it's kind of amazing that we're so, we're so like spoiled. It's not the kids who are spoiled anymore. It's the adults. Yeah. 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 No, people, people can't handle children being children. Um, and it's funny when, when adults uh, besides, you know, the parent complain about hearing a child and say, well, you can put your earphones on. I can't. I, I would love to be able to tune this child out. And when I'm traveling alone on a plane and I hear another child cry, I'm like, well, good luck to those parents. <laughs> well, you know what I do? I look over to see what's going on. And usually the baby is kind of, you know, basically it's I'm stuck in this chair with you. I can't get on the floor. I can't sit by myself. Right. And then the parent figures something out and the baby is fine. We were on a, yep. uh, I was on a plane by myself once uh, flying to D.C. For, for work. And there was a baby on there that cried and cried and cried and cried. And I assumed that that baby was having something far, like there's something a little bit more wrong than, oh, I don't, I just don't like being on here. The nursing wasn't work. The passing from parent to parent wasn't working. And so I just assumed that the baby was having a rough go. And I thought, man, I feel like that baby sometimes only I'm not allowed to cry. So more power to you, baby, let it out while you can <laughs> and went on about my business. So, you know, we, we have to have a different attitude about this when we see kids in public um, how about saying hi to them? How about engaging them in some yeah. conversation? There's such a, a rarity among us now when it comes to like just bumping into people with kids because kids are constantly occupied. They're in school. They're at sports. They're at practice. They're taking lessons. They're rarely just rolling around in public the way they used to be. You used to see kids all the time. Now when I'm out shopping, I only see people my own age. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, especially with COVID because people are so anxious to bring kids out and, and put a mask on them or, or risk someone saying something if they're not wearing a mask. Um, that's how it is here anyway. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a real shame. And pe people love seeing my kids out and about. And, um, and it's, it just sort of goes to show you how infrequent that, that is nowadays.
That's true. How uncommon it is. So I have the link in the show notes for this article that you wrote. So good. It's, it reads like a little mini novel kind of because you get so many people in, in here that she's talking to that Bethany is actually um, sharing their experiences and quotes from them. And I just recommend it. It's, it is actually refreshing. You'll feel like your brain had a little watering like in the springtime when you give plants a watering and they look so fresh. Give it an opportunity. And also... You know, I'm not lecturing. I'm not telling people what to do. But I do think if we shift our attitudes toward children, we'll have more of them. And our society certainly needs it. Our birth rate, I believe, is 1.8. That's below replacement rate. And a lot of people just want convenience. Children are patently inconvenient. But the benefit that comes along with them is so much greater than the inconvenience, perceived or real, that I just recommend people kind of Pray for an adjustment in your attitude towards them if you feel like they're a nuisance because we need more kids and we need more parents and larger families to supplement our world because it makes our life more rich. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And um, and, and just spend time with kids too. And I, I think that that's, I've, I've heard from a lot of people that um, they kind of felt inspired. And that, I mean, it was the same for me. I You felt inspired when you spend time with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they tend to adjust your attitude a little bit. Um, and if, if that's, you know, the tough love is listening or reading the stories of women who are trying desperately to have a child who aren't able to, um, yeah. th- that also changes your perspective. It's just not easy. Mm-hmm. Not everyone just gets pregnant um, and has a family and then says, okay, I think we're done. So it's, it's, this is a, a conversation for the ages, but specifically for Americans, it's a conversation for right now, which is why I'm so glad we were able to chat. Bethany Mandel, soon to be mom of five and uh, editor over at Ricochet, one of the hosts of the Lady Brains podcast. It's been so great to talk to you. Thank you for joining you us too. today. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you, Bethany. Well, you can find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com and FamilyVisionMedia.org where we can't wait to have you click our links and read our stories. Thanks for being with us today. I'll be back with you again soon. 